0: Hello and welcome to the Warrior Artist Podcast, a resource to inspire you on your creative journey. My name is Adine Glynn, and I know all about how challenging it is to move from a non-creative life to a creative one. But if I can do it, so can you. I'll share what I've learned, what worked, what didn't work, and the creative journeys of other artists. It's not too late. This is your time to be a warrior artist. Today I'm chatting to Irish visual artist and poet Pauline Flynn. Pauline grew up in the village of Donard, County Wicklow. She studied art at Dunleary School of Art and Design in Dublin, followed by a BA in Fine Art Sculpture and the History of Art at the National College of Art and Design in Dublin. She was then awarded an exchange to the Art Exchange in Chicago, and she won several travel scholarships to Japan, where she spent four years in the late 80s, early 90s, and that time was very influential in her art. The language barrier in Japan led her to start painting for the first time because she found that painting was something she could do on her own. Pauline was a very successful artist. She exhibited extensively in Ireland and internationally. She won awards and residencies, and her work was acquired for important collections. But in 2008, Pauline stopped painting, and she left the art world completely behind. Instead, she entered the world of writing. She did an MA in creative writing in UCD, University College Dublin. And Pauline found that the world of poetry writing was a very different world to the visual art world. It was a more open, less isolated world. And this was a very creative and productive time for Pauline. Her poetry was published, and she was also shortlisted for the Patrick Kavanaugh Poetry Award. After a 10-year hiatus, Pauline returned to painting, and in 2002, she was selected for the ninth Beijing International Art Exhibition. Pauline has always been interested in abstraction, and her current work has become much more geometric. And this new work is what I saw when I met Pauline very recently, a couple of weeks ago, at the opening of a group show in Cork where we are both exhibiting. We got to chatting, and I invited Pauline to share her creative journey with you. Pauline, welcome and hello to the Warrior Artist podcast. You're in fact our very first guest. Thank you. Great. (laughs) Thanks for coming and chatting on a wet Sunday for you. Um, Yes. So so I suppose when I was um, researching you and you sent in your bio, um, the first question that jumped out to me as an artist, if it's not too personal uh, for you to share, is why did you decide to stop painting in 2008?
1: Okay, well, um, it there's no simple answer to that. And it took me quite a long time to stop. And I, I never really examined why I wanted to stop. There were just um, many things going on. Um, you know, the 80s were very hard. Now, that was my beginning, but it was good. Then the 90s was crazy with the Celtic tiger and... Um, then beyond that the night and and the the crash then in 2007 it wasn't because of the crash i stopped it it just happened that it it was 2008 i had come to the end of my um love of the art world and everything that went with it and i just thought i have to do something else i was teaching as well had been teaching for 20, for 18 years at that stage And I just wanted to do something else. I didn't even know what I wanted to do, but I just decided eventually to stop. It took me a long time, but I decided to just stop. And then um, I walked around in circles for about a year before I decided what my next step was. Will I tell you about
0: that? Oh you can yeah. yeah i'm just wondering like at that time that you you fell out of love with the art world did you just think i'm never going to paint again or did you think it was just going to be a gap for a while did you realize it would be as long a gap as it was
1: i had no idea and i grieved and grieved about it it was it was a fierce loss to me because mm-hmm. um all my life i wanted to be an artist and then when i got into art college i think i was 23 um, and that's all I ever wanted to do and I really really worked hard at it over the years and and I did have certain success but it was always a struggle a struggle a struggle and um I think by 2008 I just couldn't struggle anymore you know I just thought there has to be um something else and and maybe I was coming to the end of of what I was doing and I wanted I wanted some other, creative input into my life. I didn't know it was going to be writing, but I knew there was something else I wanted. So I just had to jump into the deep end and stop the painting because as long as I was holding on to that, I wasn't going to be able to do anything else. Now, I closed the door on my studio, but I didn't unpack my studio and I did keep going into it and I did small things just for myself. For instance, I painted... My mother had a collection of Victorian teapots and I made paintings of those, thinking I was going to give away the teapots. In the end, I didn't give away the teapots and I didn't give away the paintings.
0: I have them for
1: myself. You know, I was doing that kind of thing.
0: That's really interesting. And you talked about the struggle. Was that struggle financial or was it just other things in the art world? Yeah,
1: well, I wasn't too bad because I was lucky in that I was teaching at the College of Art and Design for 18 right. years, part time. I had a lovely studio in Leeson Park. And um, really, I've been very, very lucky. I've nothing to complain about this. My desire to stop was something um, internal. You know, it wasn't. And I, I was doing OK. You know, I was selling quite well. Um, I had my part-time job, which paid the rent and, you know, gave me a nice life. Um, I applied for many residencies and got them and um, the Arts Council. And of course, there was a a financial element to it as well, because as an artist, you don't make money, you know, Mm. you don't make a lot. And um, I'm an abstract painter and you certainly don't make a lot of money
0: from abstract painting in Ireland. So you made the shift to writing and was writing something you always did, Pauline? Was that something you were always interested in?
1: No, I didn't think I I had anything to do with writing. But looking back, I I did some performance art also at the end of my education in Ireland. I I did um, a joint degree course in NCAD, which included art history. So um, I, I... And then I later did another M.A. in the history of art. So I've written two art history theses. And when I did performance art, I used to write some texts that were maybe projected onto the wall or that I said while I was doing um, a performance or something like that. But I never really thought so much about the writing element, it, it, it was just a part of the performance, if you know what I mean. I think I was still more interested in the visual part of the performance than the, the textual part of it, you know, if, if that's the right word, textual. So, um, yeah, so I, I didn't really think. But I, I read, I've been reading all my life and poetry was not something that I read a lot of. I was more interested in fiction and um, a, a lot of research for uh,
0: theses and stuff like that. You know, I I just loved reading. And what made you decide to go for the MA in Creative Writing then?
1: Well, I was um, in my house one day and the the radio was on and I heard um, Elie Nidivna, who was one of the lecturers in UCD on the Creative Writing Masters there. And I just got the end of the programme. And um, she said um, that the closing date was coming up in about a month's time for entry into the Creative Writing Masters. And I thought, wow, that's what I'll do, you know. And the Creative Writing Masters in UCD wasn't a Poetry Masters. It was for, we looked at the novel, short story, poetry, myth and fairy tale, uh, journalism. So I thought I'll do that because that at that stage, I wanted somebody to teach me something. I wanted to learn something more myself. I'd been teaching a lot myself. I've given a lot to students. So I got to the point where I wanted I wanted to learn something again because I loved being at art college. And anytime I was learning, I loved it. And because I live in the country too, I I, I moved from the city. I became quite isolated, I guess. So um, I really wanted to get back into a, a situation where I was going to be meeting Uh, more people and learning something new for myself
0: and within that program then did you try other kinds of writing and what was it about poetry that attracted your attention well you know the yes we did we had assignments in
1: all of the you know the 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 myth and fairy tale and the short story I thought I might like to write short stories in fact I couldn't handle a short story at all so it was really fascinating because most of the people on the MA had come through literary degrees and I I found I I, I knew nothing really about literature apart from reading but I knew nothing about um, um analysis or looking at form or anything like that and then we had a poetry module and um I was and our group uh, we were asked to um come back on Monday with a poem about something. I can't remember what the what, what the prompt was exactly. So I came home quite frazzled and I thought, what the hell will I do here? So I I walk a lot. I'm, I'm in the Wicklow Mountains. So I went walking up through the woods and the, the mountains. And so like with my visual artist eyes, I kind of clicked on images as I walked. And then I came back home and I put those images into words. That's the only way I can say it. And um, when I was, when I brought it in, in um, my tutor was quite surprised and quite happy. And uh, I hadn't a clue whether it was good, bad or indifferent. But um, that was already quite a nice surprise
0: that I was able to write something that resembled a poem. Well, that's really interesting. I think painting and poetry are very there is a link between them, isn't it? Like paintings, I think, are like visual poetry. So that's it's well, fascinating that, is, that you, that attracted you.
1: Yes. And, and what I have found now since I did start writing poetry um, is that for me, it's like a new medium. I don't see it different to my painting at all. It's just a new medium. And it's giving me the opportunity to express things uh, in a um a figurative way that I can't express in my abstract work. So um, yeah, it, it's it's mm. it's fantastic. You know, I'm just so I was just so amazed by it myself how rich it was for me, you know, because you know I was one of those people, I thought, oh God, poetry, I can't understand it. I don't know it. And I mean I very quickly came to um understand what poets are saying, mm. not always if it's obscure or if it's about um um you, you know um mythology or something and I don't know the references but um um yeah I, I I came to understand uh how to put an image together in words just the same way as I have to put an image together in paint so it's just another language of of my creative self I guess
0: that's really so interesting. interesting yeah
1: yeah, it has been fantastic having that extra, especially because I'm an abstract painter and um, it gives you quite a lot in terms of um, I don't analyse it and I'm not interested in analysing it. Somebody else can do that. Um, so I just really enjoy colour and shapes and composition and just the, the physicality of painting, mixing paints. I just love doing that, mixing colour. and. And and then if I'm satisfied with, with the painting visually, um I'm generally quite happy with that. And then the writing, writing a poem, you have to con so like what I'm doing are both the same things. In abstraction, I'm condensing something as as far back as I can bring it. And um in in a poem, it's asking me to do exactly the same thing. I have to condense what I want to say and find the words to say it as succinctly as I can. But poetically and beautifully is what I like from poetry. You know, um, there are many types of poetry. I'm just talking about the kind of lyrical poetry, poetry, I suppose, that I write.
0: That's really fascinating the way you've drawn that analogy between the two art forms. And I was struck by reading your poetry, how visual it is. It's a lot of use of colour. And it's quite tactile. You describe materials and media, and I could see that you were a visual artist. There is that link between the words and what you're seeing. So there's the two sides to it. I was wondering as well. Um, do you find it useful in writing titles the fact that you're a poet because that's the word part, the concrete word part of paintings? Oh my God.
1: No <laughs> <laughs> titles. You know something. The in the past when I was, you know, through my. Painting career up to two thousand and eight. Um, when I wanted titles for paintings, I went to poetry. Yeah. Um, because for abstract paintings, I mean, it's a nightmare um, trying to put a title there. Because generally, I don't want to title them. I want people to just read the language of the painting, you know. And if I put a title, it's it's already immediately going to tell the viewer what they're looking at, and I don't like that. Um, it's so... a challenge,
0: isn't it? I always think it's like writing a tiny, mini poem because you want to have something that evokes something, a feeling, but without being too prescriptive and too yeah. s- reduced. Yeah. So it's, it's, yeah. I, but I think it's, but it is like there are words, isn't it? And it can be important if you change the title, it can change the painting.
1: Yeah, exactly. I, I used to take a line maybe from a Japanese haiku poem oh, as well. Haiku were, were the only poems I was interested in because they were short enough for me mm. to understand. <laughs> I used to get really bored reading reading longer poems. Well, that makes sense
0: for an abstract
1: artist. Everything is reduced. Yeah. And it's amazing because I loved haiku poetry. So I and I remember when I used some of them for titles, n- not the whole poem, but just maybe a line out of it. Uh, other artists, friends had said to me, they love the titles of my work, you know. Yeah. But I was trying to be obscure with the titles as much as I could. Um, yeah,
0: but it can be I just find it's interesting because it can be when you find the right title. It, like get the whole painting, it's like you it's like varnishing it. it. Just suddenly that's it. It's there. It's like you've you know, you've named it and it just out in the world um i'm always interested yeah. in other people's process with this um i so haven't yes. time to be looking for titles anymore no <laughs> so it becomes shorter or less less poetic because you're writing in they're similar. untitled oh, oh, oh really you don't title them at all no, no? untitled I, one just, numbered or what do you do
1: i haven't even numbered them no i mean i'm going to have to you see i've i've been working on this new work since 2020 so yeah um not many of them have gotten out into the world. So I haven't, I'm, I'm just really interested in painting them. So I haven't gotten around to um, really thinking about the titles, but I'm calling everything ribboned
0: Yeah, I saw that. So is it like ribbon number one or just they're all a collective? No. ribbon, they're all the same title. Yet.
1: Yeah, because I don't know, I don't really, they're kind of in groups, so yeah. I'm not quite, you know, they've turned out to be in sort of groups, the types of of, of mm. imagery. They're all coming from the same place. But so I haven't really worked out what to do about that yet. So at the moment, everything is just untitled ribboned series.
0: And what do you do then to differentiate? So I'm just thinking of the exhibition uh, that we're in. There's three, three of your you know, have three paintings, you know, you have four paintings. Yes. in it. So if one of those sold, how do you differentiate the one that sold others They all have the same name Is it just by the media and the size that you know the difference? Yes. I don't I don't know. <laughs> I have to work on that. Going forward. That's that's homework for you, Pauline. Um, So I'm also really interested in um, the kind of like you describe these differences between the world of writing and the world of art and how, tell me what you think are the main differences between the world of writing poetry and the world of being a painter.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, um, as a painter, I am in my studio on my own day in day out i live in the country uh, there's nobody um there're not very many artists around and there's nobody that close if you know what i mean i also find that artists even if they come to your studio um we don't do a critiquing session i think that's changing now there there are younger artists and starting to do that. And I think the Visual Arts Ireland organization are starting to assist uh, groups of artists who want to get together to critique each other's work. But in my life to date, that is not part of my um, life. I'm just painting in my studio and I come in, I go out, I keep going. I fill up my studio with work and nobody ever sees it until I put it out. And I don't talk to it about uh, to anybody, really. And in in the writing world, I'm uh, um, I was a member of the Carlo Writers Co-op in Carlo and I'm a member of a group in Dublin called the Lord Writers. and um, I've gone to many workshops given by poets. and w- with the groups I'm with, it's it's marvelous because you write your poetry, you meet up with your group once a month, say. And you bring a poem to the group and you read it and they read it and we discuss it. So it's um, it's workshopped. It's it's just a, no, I don't think anyone could really come in and workshop a painting. I don't know, you know, because the painting changes. Now, these workshops are to tell you if the poem is working or or what what's working in it or what's not working in it or is. I mean, generally, people are quite. Um. um pleasant about it all. You know, it's not it's not a big, heavy duty thing. You know, sometimes I would like a little bit more uh, uh, criticism because I'm so I I, I consider myself a fledgling poet, even though I've been I graduated from UCD in 2010. But that was the first time I wrote a poem was in December 2009. So a lot of the poets I meet have been writing all their lives. So I, I still feel. And I only joined the co-op. I think it was in twenty fifteen. So really, it's only since twenty fifteen that I've been concentrating more on writing. Um, and I mean, it's it's a lifetime's work, as is painting. But um, I'm still in the very early stages of it. But I'm recently I, I got a poem into Poetry Ireland Review, the Even Boland um, tribute issue, and I was absolutely thrilled about that because that's our leading literary journal in the country.
0: Congratulations, so, Pauline. That's fantastic. Yeah.
1: So I was that was just there in December. Wonderful. So I've sent in many times. You know, you send out it, it's it, the, the poetry world is very like the art world. You know, you send out proposals. The open calls. Yeah. The open calls, you know, um, you send the open calls for poetry. I've sent out a lot of poems, never gotten anywhere. I've sent out a lot of proposals over the last two years. No, very few people have even sent a thank you note for submitting, which I find dreadful, but they don't even bother to respond that they got your proposal. You know,
0: I've heard in the um, that it's worse in the writing world, that there is more entries to every su- submission so that the rejection um is there's more rejection than success. So it's even greater than the. Yeah, but there are a lot more
1: journals and you can okay. you can submit some you nice know, opportunities yeah. to the UK and to America and okay. you know you can submit all over the place. Whereas with the art, you know, I'm more or less stuck with Ireland, you know, unless you know, transporting art off to America or mm. the UK or whatever. So yes, you do you get a lot of rejections, but there's an awful lot more opportunities as well. There's a lot of poetry journals around the world to um Submit to,
0: yeah. I hadn't thought about the financial side. It's true. Like sending paintings is, you know, you really got to pick the things you enter because if you get it, then it's the cost of transport yeah. or attending the exhibition. Whereas, a you know, a, sending a poem is just an email, so it's, it's no cost. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And you, you also have to, you know, you get a lot of um, invites from, especially from the United States, people inviting you to show at their gallery. But really, they want you to pay for it. Really, they're rent. They really, you're renting your their space that's what it's all about So you have to be really careful Um, Mm. if you're going to send your work to America or something you need to know that you're going to get it back yes and and, yeah and a lot
0: of people they're not they they just want to make money out of you
1: on the internet
0: nowadays you know oh there's a lot of that and would that be you talked about there's lots of changes you noticed in the 10-year gap you had from painting when you came back to the art world what would you say are the biggest changes in the art world Oh, my God, it's the Internet and it's social media and it's Instagram
1: and it's, oh, my God, um, I'm just not on top of all that at all. You you know something? I didn't have a a, a smartphone until 2018 or an Instagram account, you know. And so it was only when I came back to the visual art world that I thought, bloody hell, I didn't even have a website, you know. And I did that website really fast because um yeah, so I'm I'm on a on a steep learning curve about how to negotiate all the social media.
0: Yeah, but I was just going to is- say to you, you know, you talked about the um, isolation of being an artist, um, because I think I just joined Instagram around the same time as you in two thousand nineteen, um, and there is a community there online that you can see other artists and you can get feedback. So it's different because it's not in person, but there is a form of I mean, I met when I started to know any artists, all the artists I met were online initially on Instagram. Um, so I, Well, yes. There is a community mm. there you can access, I suppose. But it's, it's not the same as a group that you meet and get the critique. But it's. it's just, No, it I,
1: I, I I agree with you, Aideen. It's fantastic, you know, and I'm really I'm really embracing it now. But it's, you know, I only started this new work in 2020. So I had to get a lot of work done before I yeah. could start. Um, sure engaging with social media I didn't want to be showing my work as I was doing it so much you know at least not until I got on top of what it was I was doing because this was a whole new departure for me because my old work was always um, mainly on Japanese handmade paper on panels it was highly textured and layered and it was still abstract but it was Um, And and then this new work is totally flat, totally geometric. And uh, so I really was starting. It was almost like starting again, but but with a lot under my belt, if you
0: know what I mean. So you weren't ready to share. Well, actually, you brought it up and I want to talk about Japan, because obviously your time there was so influential in your work. Um, How would you say that Japan influenced your artwork? Well, it, it
1: influenced it totally and not just my artwork, but my life as well. Um, I got this scholarship from um, the Dep- the Ministry of Education in Japan and through um, the Department of Education in Ireland. So it was to attend an art college in Kyoto for two years. And uh, so it was a fantastic scholarship because it was a, a very good stipend and um, really I had the the first two years in Japan, I had just the most fantastic time exploring because I didn't have to work. You know, I didn't have to teach English. I I was able to go to an art college. Now, I know the language was a problem, even though uh, we were um, sent to a college in Osaka to learn Japanese for four months. But you'd need a lot, I would need a lot more than four months to learn Japanese. But anyway, it, it, apart from that, you know, I had been working with sound and performance and that before I went to Japan. And I thought that's what I'm really going to investigate there. But because of the language problem and talking to technicians was just impossible, um, I ended up doing different stuff altogether. Like I I, uh, studied Japanese calligraphy, you know, brush writing. I went and I lived in the mountains with paper makers, a paper making family where everybody in the village made Japanese handmade paper, the finest paper in the world as far as I'm concerned. I spent a lot of time with them. Um, I traveled all around the country. Uh, looking at ceramics and indigo and lacquerware and textiles. And uh, Kyoto is a fantastic city for textiles. So it it was really just so rich. And, And as for color, that's definitely where I've gotten my color sensibility with kimono and the painting of kimono. And just the Japanese sensibility around color is top class. You know, it's really nuanced um they almost never use primary colors everything is mixed and blended and their their combinations of color are totally different to ours they combine colors often that here in the west we would find clashing or something like that you know like give me an say, example what say colors? like uh, say like lemon and lime you know, mm. that might be just a bit overkill, but then they might put a little bit of purple in there as well next to the lime, perhaps, and and beautiful rusts and indigos and the most gorgeous teal colors. It just goes on and on and on the, the nuance in the color. And um, I used to go to the fantastic markets. Now, we're, we're talking about 1987 here, so uh, it's changed now, Japan, um, it's uh, So there was two fantastic markets in Kyoto at uh, Kitano and one at at, at, at Toji, two temples. And I would go to those um, markets, just fantastic. And there would be heaps of kimono for sale, heaps, literally silk kimono heaped on one on top of each other. And you literally just got down on your knees and went through them, you know. So it it was like diving into uh, an ocean of color. just Sounds amazing flowing and all those beautiful silks and patterns and um i mean just fantastic so and then the lifestyle really suited me uh, the food was fantastic i loved it now there were problems with with uh, being there as well because it you were out of your comfort zone totally because of the difference in the society and the way society works so it 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 was it, it was a lonely time as well because um, if you didn't have some of your uh, Western friends nearby, um, you could be very isolated as well because you couldn't have the same kind of conversations with a Japanese person, even if you could speak the language. And I met some lovely Japanese people. They were really, really nice, but um, just a different culture. It was yeah. totally different culture. So even I remember when I came back, uh, people said, that I looked so different, and I moved very differently, and my my gestures and everything had become mm-hmm. contained because um, that's how in Japan people function. There's a, there's a, a huge population there, yeah. so if people are on a train or a bus, they they just they don't spread themselves around. They sit in and they contain their body, and they're very like the. In Tokyo, for instance, there's millions of people walking through the streets, but they never clash into each other. It's it's an incredible um, way of of being just so much more mindful, if you want
0: to say. Of all there is in their DNA. It's in their, yeah. de- it's
1: in it's their so DNA. Fascinating.
0: Not, I was so yeah. interested as well that you said that because of that isolation and the language barrier, you started to paint and you had never painted before. Now, presumably no. you painted as a child, but you didn't paint in art college. Is that it?
1: That you? Yeah, I didn't study painting. I studied sculpture Okay. in art college. Yeah, my father was a carpenter and I loved uh-huh. his workshop. And um, I loved um, the smell of wood and tools and things like that. So um, I studied sculpture. I would be up and down to the painting department and I knew a lot of um, friends, had a lot of friends who were painters, but I studied sculpture and, and so I
0: worked you sculpt a
1: lot in... in wood then is it was that your no or... I I sculpted in steel <laughs> wow and very abstract and then when I left college I said well I'm not going to be able to continue doing this because I don't have a, an enormous big um metal electric um steel cutter I you know I the big sheets of steel, I I didn't have a, a welder or a noxacetylene torch or any of those things. So. Um, I, I, I graduated in 85 and then I went to Japan in 87. So I did I was doing some performance art towards the end of of my degree. So really, I was kind of moving away already from from um, mit, mit the plastic arts if if you know what I mean that the, the materials even though I loved all the materials but anyway I've just followed what the way everything was uh, unfolding for me all my life through my art I just follow it What's because you, you to have you. to make, yeah. yeah you have to you, you know you have to live um you have to have a life uh, you have to make your art at uh, whatever way you can and uh so then when I went to Japan, I just had to do what, what I had to do there. And really, I discovered uh, washi, Japanese paper and uh, pigments like shops with pigments in it that were, are mind blowing.
0: Wow. Um, so you just yeah. make your own paint from these pigments?
1: Well, it, 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 really, the pigments were all there. I just had to mix them with water, mainly, wow. and, and then an and fixative that would go into them. Um, yeah. It sounds but wonderful, you would Pauline. In, it sounds so yeah. creative. You go into these shops and they're just these small um, shelves with just all these beautiful pigments. And even I didn't use their acrylic paint in the beginning because I was just using the pigments, but uh, they make really wonderful acrylic paints as well. Uh, but the, 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 the pigments were great because I was mixing them with water and, and a fixative. So and I was using lovely Japanese brushes. So it was very loose, you know. I was really very expressionist, I suppose you could call it. I was yeah and, and different, also, um, very
0: different to your current work, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. So that was because I wasn't a painter, I was really figuring out how to do it, really, or or what what I wanted to do. And I think in a way I was lucky that I started off with pigments that, that were very thin. So I worked always on, on a flat surface. And I I wasn't dripping anything and I worked on paper and the paper would soak it up. So there was a lot of chance things happening that were very exciting and just pouring different colors on top of each other. A little bit maybe like what you do yourself, you know, to 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 build up a circle, you know. Yeah. I'm working on
0: raw canvas. It's probably it reminds me a little bit of watercolor, the technique, a little bit similar. And did you make the paper yourself at that stage when you were living in japan well well i did you... go and study it but i didn't i didn't know. i bought paper you can buy it um, ready made there
1: yeah yeah can, there's n- okay. there's no point um if 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 you want to make paper in japan you have to become a paper maker okay you know it it's a full time occupation there are wow. so many grades and types of paper it's 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 an art form in itself so i learned how to make paper and i really enjoyed it but I bought it in the shop.
0: And when you came back to Ireland then, were you still, were you buying this Japanese paper or were you making it yourself? Yeah, well, you I brought out? I brought a lot with me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I still have some, believe it or not. Wow. Pretty, very valuable. Eking it out. And the, so when you came back, you were working with this Japanese paper you brought back with you. Were you working differently because you had different media available when you came back to Ireland in terms of pigments and paints? No. No,
1: I kept working with the pigments because I brought all them back with me as well. You well. just
0: brought back suitcases of stuff.
1: <laughs> I did. I, I sent, I, you sent stuff by slow mail by ship. Wow. It to take about three months for it to get here. But by the time I got home, I had a nice supply of stuff here. So, so really that's
0: what
1: I. Yeah, that's what I worked on for years. And I would mount the paper onto, I painted them flat. I used to put them on newsprint to soak up because a lot of the the pigment came through. Then I used to have problems about whether the back was more beautiful than the front, for instance. Oh,
0: yes. I love that. Deciding which way or could you hang it so you could see both sides? Okay. Well,
1: I did. I did actually um, do that at one stage, mm. but it was just
0: causing too many hassles and problems. You know, I know it's not practical, but I, I have the same actually with the raw canvas. Sometimes the painting yeah. in the reverse becomes more yeah. beautiful. Because I think you're not yeah. trying as hard. It's it's the it's the paint talking rather than you, your decisions and your it removes the thought or something. It can yeah. Be more yeah. Beautiful. Um. And I'm just, so for those of you who are listening, I'm also recording this and it's going to be on YouTube and I'll share some photographs, but I'm just watching Pauline in her beautiful studio with all these beautiful colours that she's talking about. And I'm just noticing your jumper is matching the colour of some of those paintings. Oh my God. <laughs> We tend to be drawn to certain colours, but it is interesting that right? you're wearing that kind of beautiful kind of mustardy, yellowy, with yeah. a little green in yeah. it, isn't it? It's a beautiful colour. Yes, there's little
1: flecks of orange and purple and green.
0: Yeah, and very much
1: the palette you have behind you. Yeah. Well, you know, I just bought this uh, last week. I went over to Glendalough and I went into the, the woolen shop there. Yeah. And um, I just but saw this
0: that color spoke to you. orange
1: one. Yeah. It's about to be.
0: Yeah. There you go. I tried
1: on the orange one, but it was too big, and then so I, I, I this
0: one fit me better. And now, what after? So after your ten-year gap from painting, when you came back to painting, your your painting changed, and you were no longer working on the washi paper. You were working on canvas. Yeah. And why? Did well, you I was or your... Yeah, I was invited to be part of an exhibition by the curator Morris
1: Quillenin. Oh yes, and. Um,
0: so was that well, the first to... thing you did after your ten-year gap? Did that? Did that? Was that what brought yeah. you back to painting then? Well, there were two things.
1: Yeah, no. The first thing was he asked me to write. Uh, there was this group exhibition he was organizing. Now this was just in twenty eighteen. Yes, the first one was he asked me to be part of a group that were going to China in twenty nineteen. So he asked me to write some poetry and do paintings for that. And um, so I thought, right, I want to do this because I love going to the East. So I came into my studio and I um, what I had to do was I had to go right back to where I stopped in 2018 to what I was doing then. I I tried to do something new, but for going to China, but it wasn't happening. So I thought the only thing I can do is go back to where I was because that's where I was sure, if you know what I mean. And uh, he just needed two paintings. So I made um, two paintings that were shown in Hangzhou in China in 2019 with this group. And um, in the meantime, he had also asked me to be part of another group exhibition where Uh, I had to respond to an object in Limerick Museum. So I wrote a poem uh, looking through the archives of Limerick Museum. I chose um, a subject for a poem. And then uh, for a painting, I went into the museum and I looked around and I thought, oh, how am I going to find something here? There was a lot of grey, a lot of white, a lot of black, a lot of brown, a lot of um, quite much colour. not much colour, no. And then I, I saw these few military metal ribbons hanging in a small vitrine on the wall. And my eyes were drawn to the ribbons, the metal, the military metal ribbons, um, stripes and bands of color. Small, tiny little things. But so I took a photograph of them and I thought, I'm going to start there with those ribbons. This is where my starting point will be. And so when when I came back from China in 2019, it was October. I had gone on to Japan after we were finished in China because I was so close, so I couldn't not go. And uh, then, literally on the first of January 2020, I came into the studio and started making these paintings that I have now from those metal ribbons. Just looking at the ribbon. so I started with. I was also given for the exhibition um, uh, a size. So the size I started with was 35 by 25 centimeters and I divided that in two and I think I painted uh, you know stripes and bands of color and I think I painted about 50 of those. In Were the you given a size yes.
0: by Morris? Is it that he gave yeah. me a size? Okay that the painting had to be yeah. a certain size. So that was your yeah. structure to work within.
1: Yeah. So that was the first time I had ever been given those limitations. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, it is fantastic to be given a limitation. And then I made more limitations for myself by dividing it in two. And then I started looking up um, military medals on the Internet because there were very few in in the museum. And um, of course, the Internet is full of um, military medals. And then eventually what I what what turned out was I started looking at how the medals were, say, some of them were bundled together at the bottom of the ribbon where where the where the medal hung. So these shapes, there was like an oval, a round, um, a a flat shape, a pointed shape. So I ended up with five shapes um, that that the ribbons took in order to hang the metal, you know, and it's those five shapes I've been working with ever since. And mm.
0: yeah, and I think I can still keep on going for quite a long time with them. So what is your process with these new paintings? Do you start with shapes and then the colour or do you work, do you sketch and work out the composition in advance before you start painting? Well, I do. Well, I work out oh, at this stage, you know, something I'm so familiar
1: with them that um what I do, I found a lot of new compositions by looking at the older ones. If you see that you see those
0: behind me there, okay. so now I'm looking I'm looking at for those who are listening, I'm looking at Pauline's incredible studio, and she's got a a shelf with a almost like a gallery of wall of, it it's, I'm, like a I'm gallery. envious of your um your studio it looks incredible. So some of them are black so, and white, very geometric. But there's also sort of organic shapes. And then there's a series, and they're more this muted palette of colours, with that kind of warm mustardy, greeny, yellowy, and there's burgundies and pale pinks. And then some of them they're, they're black and white. It's so a real they're very very striking and very beautiful and very different yeah. to anything else I've seen, Pauline. But they they sing together. Thank you. Well,
1: what happened really was I I discovered as I was painting all these small canvases and using these shapes yeah. that they all started, uh, they became modular. So they started all working together. So, for instance, I could have taken all of the small paintings, uh, especially as I was developing the shapes, away from just stripes and bands of colour. Um, and they all fit together, no matter what way I put them. I could... I could arrange those paintings in multiple ways. Mm. So really, I just then I would take photographs up close of them. And I kind of got more of my ideas that way. And I just put them onto my computer. And then I would um, I would I prop and um, move them around and move them around. Exactly. So really, I didn't
0: have to do it with drawing. Okay, As so much. you painted first and then you work to your composition with well, it. Well yeah. once I
1: get once I once I developed the um the shapes I was working with. Now that was all that all took a year, you know. Yeah. Um and once I fixed on those shapes and when they started becoming modular, I, I could turn them around, I could turn them backwards, I could turn mm-hmm. them up and down and sideways and everything. So and then I started mixing some of the rounder shapes with the more hard edged shapes. Um,
0: it reminds me a little the- bit of um, paper or collage as well. Because of the flatness, the color, they could be pieces of paper that have been cut and assembled together. Like there is that sort of, um, I can see the yeah. link to your previous work, to the work on paper, even though it's yeah. different and it's not, it's not um, textured but there is something that's of all. the collage or the you know the assemblage
1: yeah yeah i think it's very very like my old work even though it's completely different you know yeah. and that's, that makes me happy too because i'm still doing what what um what I, I i what i'm meant to do i remember even one of the tutors in when i did the the creative writing master, he he critiqued one of my poems in the exact same way that somebody had critiqued my visual art years ago. What did said he say? What did he say? Well,
0: that,
1: he said, my, my, he, well, he called them imagist poems and he said what I was doing was I was creating images Um and I was not philosophizing. I was not telling anybody anything. I was not trying to make a statement about anything other than what the thing was itself. So there were there were no, of course, in, in the poetry, and I'm sure in the paintings as well, people can, um, if, if they allow themselves the opportunity to engage with uh, the language of the painting and the language of the poem. Um, and with poetry, I find it comes out, Easier that you can turn the poem at the end to say something that's maybe a bit profound or a bit insightful, or but it's not, I'm not lecturing, I'm not telling, I'm just saying, you know, and that's all I do in the painting as well. I'm just saying, yeah. this is
0: it, there's nothing else, there's nothing else there. That, that makes sense than what, of the lack of title. I mean, that ties in with that as well. You're just presenting these images. And they all have the same yeah. title because they could all be together, like lines of a poem that you could maybe move around or words. And yeah. yeah. um, yeah. that's fascinating. Actually, you just mentioned photography, Pauline. And actually, when you, you said that when you had your tenure gap from painting, yeah. that you the one thing you kept up was photography and that you just take these images for yourself of things that attracted you. And you kept your artist eye. I'm just wondering, what were you photographing when you weren't painting during that 10-year
1: gap? Well, one thing I've always photographed is when I travel to hot countries uh, in Europe, just what I love are old, old walls, doors, windows, all that sort of thing. And and that was very important to me when I was working in my old way with with, uh, layers and textures and all of that. Um I loved, especially where the paint, there were years of layers of paintings and, and all um um you could see the different oh, layers. It's so beautiful. Like. Yeah. Yeah. So that that was where I got a lot of inspiration back then. Um and I, I live in a house, it's a modern house, and um I have Venetian blinds on all the windows, and the amount of reflections that come into my house is phenomenal. And I've been here now 23 years and I'm still taking photographs in my house of reflections that come in. The Venetian blinds really mm. give um these so shapes. many
0: possibilities. Yeah. So it's uh, a bit like uh, your paintings, the all these shapes that are coming in that you could manipulate or well, I'm not I'm, I'm, the shapes, the lights. It's light more the than... light. Oh, it's the it, light. It's more
1: the light than the shapes. Yeah. Okay. Now not not that not that I'm trying to paint light in my paintings. I'm not, but um I think all of that photography of just the light and the composition, it was a lot of lines, really, because the um, Venetian blinds are linear. But it was just the way they landed on on surfaces in the house, you know, on a cushion or on the table or on the wall or whatever. Um, and then throughout all the seasons, the light is different. So there's an awful lot. It, it's just so rich. So I have just taken an awful lot of photographs of the light in the house shining on things. Now, I don't I don't go looking at any of them and take it directly for any work I'm doing. It was just, I think, keeping my keep, it was it really interested me, you know, and, and I didn't think I'm going to use this for painting. Um, but obviously it it kept me alive to the visual.
0: Yes. Oh, you so you didn't have a smartphone. So you're using like a, a camera, your photographic camera. And did you develop yeah. them yourself or did you keep No, them no, on, no. I, it it was computer? a digital camera. So um I just put them on my computer and and look at them. <laughs> the resource. Brilliant. I love that. And I'm just admiring your incredible studio. I think um I know I'm always fascinated with the artist's studio. This looks is this in your home? Where is your studio in Wicklow? Or is yes, it a separate it's building? A separate, separate building to the house. Um
1: my brother built this house for myself and my husband, and I went. I, I went to lots of artist studios before um, I started building, and I asked them, "What? What would you suggest? You know, what? What would you advise oh, me great. to do with building the studio?" So they all said, "Build it as big as you possibly can." Yes, because and as high. You can... Yeah. If you want to extend it, you will have to pay the same amount of money again, you know. Mm-hmm. But if he said they said when you're getting the blocks laid, it doesn't cost very much to lay. Two thousand more blocks. Yeah. Um
0: So how big is your how big is your
1: studio then, you know? Well, the whole building, it's now divided in three because my husband has gotten a section of it for his um, music studio. But I did have the whole studio to myself at one stage. So it's it's about. I'm going I'm going to go in feet and inches, it's about 65 feet long and about 17 feet wide. Wow. So it's, it's divided long.
0: into three. So there's the music section of your husband, your painting studio, what's the other section is a story? The other
1: part is um I I it's like a small self-contained flat because I had this idea in the beginning that um I would exchange with other artists abroad. Oh, and if somebody came here, they could live in the studio. Now I have actually never done that. So um, what we do now is we use that little self-contained apartment um, as our guest accommodation.
0: <laughs> Very nice. Very nice. Yeah, That's thanks. a great idea. And what is your, now that you paint, what's your process when you go into the studio? Like, how do you start painting? You Do you paint every day?
1: Well, I do. When I'm painting, I paint every day. And then I will come to some point where I stop Um Maybe something else in life is happening or something. But generally, I, I, as I said, some of the paintings, they're coming out in sort of within the whole series of the ribbon. There are some of them in series as well. You know, say it's black and white or it's, or it's the size of the canvas or something like that. So sometimes when I come to the end of one of those little series, it might not be the end. Maybe it will continue. But I get to a certain point where I know I want to continue, but I don't really know what it is I want to do next. In fact, even with those small ones just behind there, I want to do more on those. And mm-hmm. I do know what I kind of want to do now, but it, I've been mulling it over now over the whole Christmas. And um, I haven't yet gone back into the studio since Christmas. Um, okay. And I can't remember when I, yeah, it was before Christmas sometime I stopped.
0: And when you um, do paint then is it like like how long are the days you're painting full long 8-hour days or less or No, I wouldn't do 8 hours, no. 6 6 would
1: probably be the longest I would do. But I could be in the studio longer than that. Yeah. But thinking. when I'm involved okay. when I'm involved with these I could paint for 6 hours because each color has about 6 to 8 layers of paint.
0: Okay.
1: Um, until I get to the surface that I want. So um, that's quite laborious because um, like all those round things, I'm paying painting all those freehand. Like with more hard edge ones, I do use tape to assist. Um, and there's quite a lot of measuring um when I'm drawing them out, for instance, the the hard edge, well, all of them really.
0: Um so, you draw them on first thing. with pencil and then you start painting. Yeah. 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 Your composition. And sometimes
1: I, I might have an idea of what the whole composition will be like, but that can change as I start drawing. Mm-hmm. Now, they're kind of repeats of the same thing, but I can I can shift them a little bit, you know. So,
0: um, and I the color changes it so completely. I can see from the work behind you with the.
1: Yeah. You know, and using then the color. Pink
0: or, yeah. That makes it completely different, even though it's the same shape repeated they're so different
1: yeah. And sometimes I don't always work out my colors, but I do a good a good bit of working out of what my what I think my color scheme might be for the painting. And sometimes it just doesn't work what my color scheme is. and I might I might already have painted maybe three layers of one color and I decide, no, that's okay. n- that's not it. So then I have to mix more and just go over all of that as well. So sometimes they come really cleanly and then other times the color is not quite right and I do I'm very very specific about the colors I want together.
0: This Is from the Japanese aesthetic that you that inspired yes. you? Yeah
1: yeah 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 and I do look at um for instance I look at a lot of Japanese ukiyo-e prints and they help me with my color combinations.
0: And what is your I think favorite tool in the when you're painting? Do you still use Japanese brushes, or um,
1: not really? No, I have lots of those lovely flat Japanese brushes, but they're all too big. Okay. So, so really, I'm, I'm working now with much much more standard. Everything is more standard now. I'm working on canvas, acrylic, normal brushes, um, mediums.
0: So I'm kind of a proper painter. <laughs> yes, you are. Yes, you are. And with paint, do you still mix it from pigment? or Are you buying it ready-made? No, what brands I just do you mix I... it from tubes. Okay, it's and what brands tube. do you, do you certain brands you prefer use, or mix? Um, Golden mm-hmm. yeah my Golden. main
1: brand. And the Japanese one is, uh... oh, let me just
0: see what my Japanese one is. Pauline's just gone to get the paint for me and I have a lovely shot of her studio I'm in total envy it's absolutely gorgeous what's the brand yeah it's a a Matsuda is the Japanese
1: you have to email
0: that for me and I'll put it in the show notes um with the color well you know it's not
1: I'm I I get somebody in Japan to send it to me rather than trying to get it online
0: yeah
1: I mean maybe maybe you can get it online but
0: I don't do that because I think oh my god Well, the system works, I change it. And with your writing, are you writing and painting at the same time or how do you balance that time shift? Well, at the
1: moment now, I'm finding I cannot even think about writing because, Mm -hmm. you know, um, I'm now ready to get this work out into the world. And um, the Hillsborough Fine Art Gallery showed four of them in the summertime Now I'm with uh, New Yin Art in Cork, which is great. And there's some other interest. And I do have um, a show plan for the Limerick Museum in June. Oh, that's
0: wonderful, Pauline. So there's loads of plans for the future. Bringing them home. (laughs) Yeah, and that's very motivating to have and having those time deadlines, I'm sure, to get work completed.
1: Yeah, so what I'm finding just now, it's just happening now since um, since Dermot rang. Uh, uh, yeah, we had a, I had a Zoom with Dermot on the first of um, January and he said, Pauline, our show is opening on the 12th. OK,
0: <laughs> so Dermot Brown is the curator of New Yen Art, this group show that Pauline and I are in. We were both invited and um, he's shown 12 women artists um, who paint with abstraction based in Ireland. And the exhibition—that's why I met Pauline for the first time at the exhibition opening—and it runs until the twenty-third of February. Um, at the time of recording, it's still open in the fir- in Crane Visual, which is in Fertan Crane in Cork City, and it's a lovely space, actually. I think it's only their second exhibition, um, and well worth looking at as well. So you yeah. met Dur- so Dermot invite So you're basically receiving people are inviting you to um, these exhibitions, your old contacts, people are reaching out like Morris and different people and saying, come and exhibit with us. That's what's happening to you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Now, that that that's not that's not going to always happen. You know, Um, um, I I am sending out proposals to galleries and art centres around the country to um, try and get solo shows or even um, an exhibition with two people or something like that, you know.
0: Um, how do you do that I, kind of proposal, Pauline? Do you just like, do they have a, a an open call submission for a gallery, or are you just writing it on hoc, ad hoc? Somebody you might have previously well, had a relationship them, with.
1: No, some of them have put out a call, but um, generally I'm just looking at what's around. The, like back in the past, I've I've exhibited in Limerick and Cork and um, Waterford. Oh yeah, last winter in Waterford, the Art Form Dunmore East had an exhibition in Waterford City, and I was invited to be part of that. Um, so no, generally, I just look up all the different places around the country. I will ring them up and say, um, can I submit to you? Can I send you a proposal? And um, all of them say yes. And so I just put together a proposal. I write about what my work is about. It's really almost the same as what I'm have been talking to you about it, not as in-depth, but I will say what the work is about and um, I will send images. All of them want images in different formats and different sizes and yeah. all of that sort of thing. Uh, you know, they generally want your CV, your artist statement. It, I mean, it's it's laborious, but it's quite straightforward as well.
0: That's wonderful. Well, good for you. So you're really embracing this return to painting, the painting world that you're yeah. looking for opportunities to exhibit
1: your work. Yeah. So, so that's that's coming from my writing. How does it work? Um, it's it's not working very well. The two of them going on together. So I've just taken a break from my groups now and saying, "Listen, guys, um, I just need to concentrate for the moment on on uh, getting the work out, and um, getting more involved with social media and uh." Finding out how the whole new thing works, you know, Um, like in the past, I always just had solo exhibitions. But now it seems collaborative exhibitions are more interesting. And so I'm hoping to do some more of that. I'm not I don't feel under pressure like I did when I was a younger artist. Um, I, I just feel a bit more sure of myself, so I'm not feeling so stressed by um of course, I want the work to get out there, but if it doesn't, it doesn't. <laughs> and I'm going to going to keep painting
0: anyway. That's brilliant. I, I love that. And how much time do you think? You, know, you talked about all the proposals and the painting. How do you manage your time between painting and all the other hats that we have to wear as artists when we're like oh, self-employed? Yeah. And what like sometimes yeah. sometimes I just have to stop painting and do the other thing. You
1: know, okay. I can't really do both of them simultaneously you know I just have to have to take a break from the studio and um, uh, just
0: do the do the applications because you know you have to look up what they all want and yeah it takes time and what's your least favorite job of of the admin side of being an artist like what's the what's the worst job do you think well I suppose um, making those
1: proposals
0: yeah
1: yeah Yeah. it's hard work
0: (laughs) It's hard work. And
1: yeah. then um, and then you never hear from them, you know, so you've put in all this
0: effort and you just no don't feedback. hear back. How do you no handle feedback. rejection like that? How do you, like you said, you seem to have a really good attitude to master, it now.
1: I'm a master at handling rejection.
0: You're a master um, at it, is
1: it? Yeah. <laughs> What's your approach? Because it has happened. Um, You see, probably because I've been... Working as an artist for so long that you know it—it's it, been there from the very beginning, and so I don't. It doesn't upset me anymore. It doesn't. It, it maybe annoys me, but um, it doesn't really upset me. I don't feel like um, my work is no good or anything. I mean, I might have felt that
0: earlier, um, but I don't really feel that now you're more confident so, in your work so you just don't take it personally really? yeah just, yeah okay that's yeah, great absolutely. we all we all need, and do you ever procrastinate about work no Any kind of no never well that's amazing a, I'm not a procrastinator at all you just get down into do the work <laughs> yeah wow yeah. Pauline I have you're my time. hero I'm lucky.
1: I'm lucky I have the space I have the time um I I'm not teaching anymore and I'm so I'm just taking all my time to do my own thing. It's it's fantastic. Okay. It's it's a it's a fantastic um,
0: position to be in. But so I was also looking in the- day job anymore. You're just doing this full time now. Go,
1: yeah, wow. yeah.
0: That's that's. that's but I, a I was
1: working for I was working for years and years mm. and painting as well. Um, but I was working in my field, so I, I never felt. I never felt frustrated. You know, I wasn't working as a waitress or anything like that. I was working as a a, a teacher of art. So um,
0: I'm very lucky in that. And 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 now I just. Yeah, sorry. Um, I was just wondering, what was the best advice any mentor or teacher gave you that maybe stayed with you? You know, sometimes words are so important and some. But something says somebody says stays with you and you think of it. Is there anything that comes to mind?
1: Yes, there is. It's been said to me both in painting and in writing. Um, just keep doing what you're doing yourself. Don't worry about what anybody else is doing. Um, now, when you're younger, that's harder because you see what's trendy or what's on trend or what's, you know, what. And, and, and you know, that does happen. There are trends And when your work is not going to fit into it, but um, you've got to you've got to stay true to yourself and do what you're doing. And like I have found with the writing, for instance, um, I even said to one of my tutors, I said, oh, my God, Jesus, um, my writing is is not like any of the others, because a lot of them had come out of literary degrees. And I sort of felt their writing was uh, better than mine. And. Also in Ireland, there is a certain kind of poem that is, um, you know, the lyrical poem is very popular here. Like American poetry, there's more scope in, in what's accepted. Um, but I it was said to me, you do, you do it the way you do it, you know. That's the only thing you can do. Do not worry about anybody else. You just have to stick with it. Perseverance, perseverance, perseverance. And also I think as a young artist, you have to be able to to pay your rent and feed yourself. So you if you have to get another job, you have to get another job. Um, I remember it was a philosopher friend of mine who always kept saying that to me, you know, and of course I was a bit, oh, oh I don't want to be doing these other jobs. And and he said, Well, you have to pay your rent and you have to feed yourself
0: and you have to have a life. Not feel you know, bad so. about and it takes you away from your art basically yeah it's okay and that's great advice and is there any other advice you would give to any emerging artist who's listening to this or maybe somebody who's thinking about taking a plunge into the art world is there any other advice that you'd give um experience
1: no I think really like I was chatting with two of those young artists from the uh, New Yin Art exhibition. And that's the sort of advice I was giving them, you know, because they're worried about how they get on. And um, I said, it, and with the writing as well, it's just slow. You know, mm. it takes you your lifetime to learn how to do it. And you have to be lucky as well. You know, if, if a gallery will take you on, um, I've been with taken on by galleries and then the galleries have folded or or whatever, you know, Um, with recessions you you, you know everything is going to change all the time and you know you think when you get taken on by a gallery oh this is it brilliant (laughs) it doesn't necessarily stay like that you know okay um so I think you have to hang in there and try and not get despondent because you will get a lot of these rejections but I also think I also think you have to work at your work you know you can't be just um putting any old thing out there, you know, like with, with, like with poetry, you know, I go to workshops and I edit, 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 edit. Mm. And uh, with painting, you you can't just put out everything you make. You have to make sure it's good enough as well. So you have to become your self-critical, not, not harshly. It doesn't have to be harsh. You know, it's your thing. You're doing it. You, You know yourself, what you're willing to, um, to put out there as a statement of your intent you know so i think you just have to stay true to yourself and just do what you can do and and if
0: it doesn't work out it's just not going to work out and don't could worry the about timing it. or it could be lots of things you're saying fashions and stuff that's yeah. brilliant advice pauline and yeah. are there any books you'd recommend you know books that you love art related or non-related or that you think well, is a great resource for people
1: You had said to me, too, about uh, uh, meeting an artist. Oh, yeah, I
0: I can ask you Or a book. Yeah. They're just wondering. And I was
1: thinking about that.
0: Yeah, so I'll ask you that one now. I'll ask you that. So if you
1: were to meet. I don't have any one book. But for myself, for instance, when I started college in in Dunleary School of Art and Design, uh, the ethos of the Bauhaus was how that college worked. And... um, I learned a lot about art, craft, materials, everything. Brilliant. And then I went to NCAD and it was much more about concepts. So I developed more of that and then I did my thing. And now, as far as I'm concerned, I have come 100% back around to my Bauhaus education. And I think that's what I really, really liked. But I went on, um, you know, i got a fork on the road. And yeah. I went on a different walk on the road, like that great poem by
0: Frost, is it? Or... The two roads dividing in the wood. Yeah, yeah. that yeah. thing. Yeah. And which well, one you take? that's your journey and everything. Um, yeah. So I was going to ask you if there was any artist living or dead that you'd like to meet, and like, maybe it's a poet for you or a writer, who would it be? No and what would you ask um, them? Is there anybody that comes to I don't to I don't
1: want to meet any of them, <laughs> but I would like to I I would like to be in the presence. Now I'm talking oh, yeah. about painters.
0: Yes, in a studio maybe, just to watch
1: them. No, I'd like to to be able to be in the presence of some of them. Who would you pick? Like, for instance, I was thinking I would love to be in a field with Monet when he's painting haystacks in, Mm. in a different light. I would just love to be in the field with him. He doesn't know I'm there. I'm just watching him. The other one, I would love to be in a studio with Michelangelo seeing how he releases those human figures from a block of marble. That sort of thing. I that's do like music
0: You're actually like painting uh, a poem, the description of both of those um, meetings. Yeah. I can see it. I want to be there too. I want to be there watching you watch them. It's like, that's beautiful. I know. That's beautiful. Imagine. I just love that. Yeah, that would be, that's amazing. I just love how you, you were great with words. I love how you described that. And you've described that you're going for all these applications for exhibitions. I'm just wondering, do you set goals for yourself or is it more organic?
1: Ah, uh, I suppose I am. Mm. No, it's a little bit more organic now because I feel, you know, I I have come back into the world of art now. That's quite different to the way it was before. So in a way, I'm just going with it. OK, Um you know, there, there were no really curators around back in the day. It, it was art centers and galleries and things like that. So I, I have to embrace the world of curators as well, and I have to introduce
0: myself to them. So I'm. So were there were no curators I'm, before, Pauline? Was it just there were no real curators? No. Oh, so that's a new development. That's interesting.
1: Yeah, they only started happening when they started having these um, degrees in colleges for arts administrators. Okay. Um. So that's where the curator came out of. It was part of those courses for arts administrators. So before that so was the
0: gallery. The person who ran the gallery was the curator. Or yeah. The, yeah. OK. Yeah. So it was yeah. not the separate the gallery.
1: Yeah. And and the spaces were galleries. You know, people didn't show in off-site spaces, you know. There, was, yeah. um,
0: there probably I mean, were more gallery them. spaces than now, though. I mean, lots of closed. Yes, there were. Yeah.
1: A lot of closed now. And that's a problem. Because there's so many more artists and there's so few good spaces. So that's why young artists now are showing in in, uh,
0: disused warehouses and um, wherever they can find it. Yeah, creating their own spaces to show because it is lovely to see your work. I mean, I do a lot of online stuff, I suppose, because I'm starting off. I will be an emerging artist, but there's nothing like seeing your work hanging beautifully lit with other artists and other paintings it just brings me such joy actually yeah. to see it yeah it's it's sort of like I a performance the, isn't it seeing your work hanging
1: oh absolutely and and you have to see paintings in reality in my mm. mind you know I think the online thing is is a great um a, addition and a great way to get it out to a greater load of people but um I don't. I. I don't see it for me anyway as a, as a, an avenue for sales or anything like that. I'm. I'm. I'm not. I just know myself. I'm not going to um, put the effort into that. <laughs> you know. Maybe yeah. I will in time, but at the moment, no. I'd rather get the work
0: out there and um,
1: even I'm if sure it's, it's all should. going to come
0: back. Oh, I'm sure it won't. And you've got loads of plans. That I'm um, One other thing, and maybe you've kind of answered this already, but if you were starting off now, if you were Pauline Flynn, just starting off now, just maybe just left art college, and you were just starting your journey, but you have all the experience that you've had up to now in your life, and all the knowledge you have now, but you're starting now as an artist, would you do anything differently? Or is there anything you'd say, I would do this and not do that? Or maybe you do exactly No, I don't
1: think so. I don't think so, because I've had I've had a good um, innings in it. You know, I, I was I won't say I was just lucky because I worked very hard at it. You know, I mean, like even people back in the 80s when I was got the scholarships to Japan and I was going on residencies in America or in Spain or wherever, they said, how how is this all happening for you? And I said, I'm just filling in forms, you know, I'm making applications. So I was making applications from the beginning. And if you're not willing to um, put in that kind of groundwork and that hard, boring work, you know, Mm. um, you're not going to get anywhere. Nobody's going to come into your studio um, off the street and say, um, oh, my God, I'll take you, you know, um, you're going to have to work. Not only do you have to work at your painting, but you have to work at getting yourself out there. Um, and uh, unfortunately, some people can do that extremely well and some people cannot do it at all. And, and that is that is the tragedy of being an artist. Some of yeah, the I best see.
0: artists of are probably never seen.
1: And, and, and I think, I think
0: in Ireland, it's, our... it's difficult, that application process. I know I've seen some deadlines for, um, you know, this kind of exhibition proposals. And I just feel so daunted and intimidated and feel like, you know, I might enter open calls for group shows. But when it comes to a solo exhibition in a gallery, I just think I wouldn't even know how to start writing a proposal, you know, using that um, even that art language, I find yeah, Because um, I studied literature, well, uh, so I'm the opposite to you. I studied literature and then moved into art. And I find that whole art speak world is so obtuse and so, diff- so different So to the language you would use in any other kind of English writing. <laughs> I
1: would tell you, Aideen, don't use any of that art speak. Use your own language. Yeah. That art speak is... I'm not interested in it at all. It means nothing. I, I swear to God, I have been at some... I think it's disappearing a bit, which is great. But um, I was at an exhibition once of somebody I know and there was this Mm -hmm. thing on the wall and I had no idea what it was. And I said to that artist, I said, did you write that? And he said, no, I didn't. The curator wrote that or something, (laughs) you know. And and I said, he hadn't a clue what it was about, you know. And and so write in your own language and you have to be... um, you have to be truthful. That's what I've always found has worked for me. Like when, when I got into the Masters in UCD, I wrote and I said, I'm not a writer, um, but I want somebody to teach me something about writing. I'm a, I'm a visual artist, but I want to write now. So I said that very clear I wasn't pretending but I had I mean they asked for a portfolio of writing and I didn't have one to give them so I gave them the few bits of text I'd written for performance or something so I think you just have to be truthful and I also think before you look for
0: solo shows you have to be included in group shows yeah you do so you just start yeah. there that's the next stepping stone yeah.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And when I started, there was the Independent Artist, there was the Irish Exhibition of Living Art. There were a lot of group exhibitions. Okay. Um, so you have to find what your group. But, but you also have to get the right people to see your work. You know, that's a problem, too. You can put up exhibitions anywhere you want. But if nobody who has any clout in the area of the world sees them, then it's
0: just lost. So what do you do? Do you invite people with clout to see your work? Is that your strategy? I don't, I, I, no, you see, because
1: for me before it it was always in commercial galleries. Okay. So they were being seen. Yeah. 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 Or, or in art centers, but even the art centers are not great because they're not selling places. So they're, they're not inviting, um, um, collectors or anything like that. So really the commercial galleries were the most important and maybe they still are, but there's fewer and fewer of them, unfortunately. Yes. So I, I don't really know how young people are going to uh, make a living. I, I think don't it's even the, know
0: myself. The online side is, well, that's my strategy, I suppose. I think I'm going exploring all options. But I think online for me, I find I never sell anything on an exhibition, but those paintings will all gradually sell from somebody who might will see they? them online, but then may eventually say, okay. Can I come and see them in your house? And people who would maybe, yeah. I find a lot of people who purchase me maybe wouldn't would be too intimidated to go to a gallery. Would never go into a gallery, right. but are still, they have homes and they're looking for artwork. Or so I, I don't know. I think it's all audiences, and I suppose people buy clothes online. They buy different things online. Yeah. So potentially, yeah. but that's great. Art couldn't. i to away. hear that. Well, I don't know. I'm making it up as I go, Pauline. But I think your story has been so inspiring. I think you are a true warrior artist and all the work you've done. Like you're <laughs> even talking to you, I'm even more inspired. And I'm definitely going to write some more applications and not just let those deadlines slide by. But before you go, um, I've asked you to choose one of your poems to read for us. um, And you picked a poem called The Withdrawing Room. And you said you wrote this after a visit to Kilkenny Castle. And it's a beautiful poem. Yeah. Would you read that for us? Do you have it to hand? I do.
1: The Withdrawing Room. Inside the castle, I wander airless apartments and enter a room different from the rest, the woman's withdrawing room. On hand-painted Chinese wallpaper, a fawn walks along a path, a parrot rests in a peony tree. I lose myself in the garden, sit on the blue-glazed seat by the lotus pond, eat a persimmon picked from the tree overhead, Listen to the song of the yellow-tailed bird on the osmantus. Follow the butterfly hovering over the rock. I stand here in my winter coat, the room bare of furniture, the wallpaper veiled in a patina of age, at home in this female domain, in undisturbed delight from the world outside.
0: Pauline, that's absolutely beautiful. It's gorgeous. I love it so much, and I um, I love the like. I'm seeing pictures in my head. It's so visual, you know. You're just making art. You're making visual art in a different way. You're reaching inside my head, and you're creating it through words. And it's beautiful. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. that well, I was with just,
1: us. I was just so excited to um, hear, to find out that that room was called the withdrawing room. You know, it's not just the drawing room. It was the withdrawing room. So that was what stimulated me in the first place was the name of that room where the women went to after dinner and left the men to smoke and drink. Oh, in, so big, they would in the from
0: society for a little bit for a break. Is that yeah, a for thing? the women
1: so that they could be together. And, um, and then the room was just so much more feminine with this hand-painted wallpaper from China. It, it, it was a thing in the 19th century, I think, you know. Um, Japanese or the Chinese painted all this fabulous wallpaper that all came to Europe. And uh, just with these beautiful exotic gardens in them. So um, in Kilkenny Castle now, there are there are good few rooms with very good uh, Chinese painted wallpaper in bedrooms and things. But in this particular withdrawing room, there were just fragments of it left. And I think that's what interested interested me, too, because it left me space to kind of
0: um, complete the picture of the garden. So beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. And I'm going to include this poem in the show notes for people who want to read it. It's absolutely gorgeous. If that's okay with you, Pauline. That's fine. Can you tell anybody who's interested, where can they find you on Instagram or your website?
1: Okay, my website is paulinebflynn.wixsite.com sometimes there's a forward slash arts it's just it's um, a free uh, Wix site my Instagram is at paulinebflynn generally the b comes in everywhere it's Bridget (laughs) I was wondering
0: (laughs) Beatrix Bridget Bridget, a good Irish name (laughs) a good Irish name yeah Uh, that's wonderful Pauline, you've been so generous with your time. Thank you so much. And just to remind people at the time of recording, um, Pauline and I are in a group show of 12 women artists based in Ireland working in abstraction curated by Dermot Brown, and it's called New Year Art, and it's in the Crane visual, Firkin Crane, Cork City, on the 23rd of February. And Pauline, I just wish you every success on the next steps in your creative journey in both the visual and the writing worlds. And for those who'd like to dive a little bit deeper, I'm going to include some photos of Pauline's work, the poem she read and her links to her social media and website in the show notes. you can click on and view her beautiful work. And this will also be uploaded to YouTube. Hopefully I can figure out the technology. Thanks so much, Pauline. And maybe um, we might touch base again in the future. I'd be so interested to hear what happens to all these exhibitions. Well, me too. Thanks so much (laughs) for joining me.
1: Bye. It's been great doing this. I've never done one of these before. Great.
0: Oh, thank you. Thank you my very first interview. Thank you so much. Yeah. Great. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Warrior Artist Podcast. I'd love your support. Please subscribe. And if you have a few moments, I'd be so grateful if you could rate or review as this helps others find me. You can see what I'm up to on Instagram on at underscore That's E-A-D-A-O-I-N underscore G-L-Y-N-N and my website adienglynn.com. I'd also love your feedback. What did you think of this episode? Do you have any ideas or suggestions for future episodes? You can email me on my website or DM me on Instagram. Wishing you all the best on your creative journey. Remember, you are a warrior artist.